Hello, Strange Stories UK here again. Today's story is about the death of Amy Spencer in Brighton during July 2016. A death which caused some controversy. Sussex Square, Kemp Town, Brighton is a Georgian estate built for the rich and famous of Brighton in the early 19th century. They were fabulously large family houses with servant quarters in the top part of the houses. The houses all had a similar facade but were all different in their design according to the demands of the purchaser. Today, these houses are for the most part have been broken up into studio apartments and flats. But they're much sought after due to their spacious rooms, high ceilings and elegant fittings. A two-bedroom apartment has increased sixfold in the past 20 years to be valued at about £600,000 today. Georgian houses in Kemptown were made of a material called... Bungarouche. It was used almost exclusively in Brighton, a process of mixing lime and sand in anything else to hand and setting it between railway sleepers or steel supports. As these buildings are about 200 years old now, they need a lot of maintenance, otherwise they collapse, which has happened in the past. The Sussex Square Estate Gardens are shared Four lovely acres of mature gardens, enclosed by railings, with an underground tunnel through the cliff leading down to the sea. A magical place. Lewis Carroll once lived here, and I wondered if this was the inspiration for falling down the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland. The seafront area is the largest unspoilt early 19th century constructed seafront in Europe. It's now falling into disrepair, and parts of it now are shut off from public use. There are plans to redevelop. The sleaziest side of Brighton is seen at the seafront, at the area known as Duke's Mound. This is underneath the cliff that Chichester Terrace sits upon. In recent times, it's been a well-known gay cruising area but it's become much more of a no-go area in recent years due to poor street lighting, rampant drug use and high-risk sexual activity. The Brighton Council's attitude has been criticised due to their lack of maintenance. A city parks worker from Brighton and Hove Council, when questioned about the shrubs and bushes being allowed to grow 20 feet high, revealed... We always err on the side of caution when pruning due to the sensitivity of the area. The thinking being behind this is to keep the activities mentioned in one place. <coughs> the area is often covered in litter, used condoms, beer cans, vodka bottles, discarded clothing and packets of prescription drugs. Cleaning up the area is not high on the priorities of a cash-strapped, gay-friendly Brighton Council. So the high and low lives of Brighton can be seen as being in juxtaposition in the area of Chichester Terrace and Sussex Square in Kemptown. Kingscliff Court, <coughs> the terrace, is a typical house of the area, subdivided into flats, 
In one of the flats lived Daniel Lewis and his girlfriend, Helen Dawson. Helen had a job at Royal Sussex Hospital about five minutes walk away. She was a senior radiographer. Daniel Lewis had an influential grandfather, Lord Gus MacDonald. Gus MacDonald was a self-made man. His first job being in the Glasgow shipyards, where he got involved in trade union business. Strike in the late 1950s, along with fellow strikers, known today, Billy Connolly and Alex Ferguson. Gus later worked as a journalist in television and became a successful TV executive. He was also an influential member of the House of Lords during the Blair administration. Gus is also involved in advising trust funds for huge infrastructure projects. He's a very wealthy and influential man who's also Chancellor of Glasgow Caledonian University and on the Council of Sussex University. Grandson of the high-achieving Gus. He was aged 28 and doesn't appear to have had a job. He was a former uh, bodybuilder and he seemed to trade on his looks and charm, living on a trust fund set up by his grandfather, Lord Gus MacDonald, Baron MacDonald of Tradeston. Lewis had a sideline in supplying party platters of drugs, including cocaine, methadone, ketamine and LSD. Lewis bought the drugs wholesale on the dark web, then cut it up for his customers. Lewis claimed that he'd become an addict and then supplied others claiming to be a one-man band and that nobody else was ever involved. Lewis provided his drugs mail order. Although he supplied his customers countrywide, the Brighton party scene was his main target and he mailed all his customers to their home address after they had placed their orders and they had paid in Bitcoin. Lewis supplied class A, B and C drugs, turning his flat into a repackaging centre. When the flat was later searched by the police, illegal drugs to the value of £15,000 were seized, along with £20,000 in cash. The drugs were stuffed in drawers and behind a fridge. Other items found at the Brighton flat included a list of drug prices, a number of orders of drugs from customers and a machine that helps drug dealers create custom pills from powdered drugs. Information found at the flat also led officers to a rented garage where Daniel was storing more drugs, including a box with Daniel Lewis's name on it, containing around four ounces of cocaine, a lump of what officers believed to have been wet amphetamine, and some crystal MDMA. It is possible the flat was hurriedly cleared of other incriminating items before the police had arrived. Called hippie crack, nitrous oxide, or laughing gas, inhaled from a balloon filled with it from a dispenser. A pack of 24 canisters of the gas and a dispenser can be purchased online for about £20. Although there's a potential two-year jail term for supplying for recreational use, very difficult to prove. Nitrous oxide is usually used in the medical and food sectors. 
For supplying Class A drugs, there's a sentence of up to life and a fine. Ironically, when Chichester Terrace was built in the 19th century, cocaine, opium, laughing gas were used by the wealthy. It was not illegal to do so, and it was considered a tonic and an aid against depression. It wasn't until the dangerous drugs acts in the 1920s that illicit supplies become controlled by the medical profession. In 1964, the Misuse of Drugs Act finally made hard drugs illegal. And the 1971 Misuse of Drugs Act classified drugs into the groups A, B and C. At eight minutes past nine, on Monday, the 11th of July, 2016, emergency services were called to Daniel Lewis's flat in Chichester Terrace in Brighton. After a 999 call was made by a neighbour, who reported that a woman had fallen from a window of Lewis's flat. Police and ambulance crews rushed to the scene and found the naked body of a young woman face down in a pool of blood at the rear of the building facing Rock Grove, where the property had a rear entrance. Paramedics attended the woman, who was rushed to hospital just two minutes away. Meanwhile, Police entered the block of flats in an attempt to ascertain which flat she had fallen from. When police knocked at the door of Daniel Lewis's flat, he answered wearing just boxer shorts. It was apparent to the police that the open window in the kitchen area was where the woman had fallen from, and they began to question Lewis. They found Lewis to be hot and sweaty and virtually incoherent. He admitted to a beyondly the influence of drugs, cocaine and diazepam. While being questioned, Daniel was in a state of drug-induced intoxication. He told officers that he was in the flat with Amy. Daniel was asked by the officers if anything had happened to Amy, before revealing that a woman had been found after falling out of a window. He was arrested by the officers on suspicion of attempted murder. Daniel was led away by officers wearing just trainers and black tracksuit bottoms, ambling along like an old man, while the woman was rushed to the Royal Sussex County Hospital in a life-threatening condition. There is a video of Lewis being led away by police on YouTube. It was quickly determined by officers that there was no obvious signs of a struggle in the property, and that the window was positioned so that it would be virtually impossible to fall out accidentally. While officers were at the flat, house music continued to play as the police found plenty of drug use evidence. The forensic team arrived to look for evidence from the blood-soaked backyard where the young woman was found. As the police searched for clues to the woman's identity, statements were taken from witnesses. It seemed that the woman had fallen while a male had been seen standing behind, perhaps up to a couple of metres behind her. However, the woman had not been seen to jump or be pushed from the window. A passport was found that belonged to 27-year-old Amy Carla Spencer, which matched the name given by Lewis of the woman who had been in the flat with him. Although there was no next of kin given on her passport, Amy had a number of distinctive tattoos including a roulette wheel on her arm, blessed on her knuckles, 
and two guns lower down on her hip, which enabled the police to identify her. So, who was Amy Carla Spencer, and why was she in the flat with Lewis? <laughs> Amy was born on the 9th of May 1989 in Perth, the medieval capital of Scotland. She came from a loving family, mother, father and sister, who had relocated to Eastbourne in East Sussex on the south coast of England. At the time of her fall, Amy was living in Brentwood, Essex. She was a larger-than-life character. After leaving school, Amy got a job working in a bar at a holiday cab before she started doing some modelling work. Soon after, she tried pole dancing and was later to work at the London lap dancing club Spearmint Rhino. Amy then became a webcam girl, charging about £3 a minute to people wanting to view her. There was a BBC Three programme called The Secrets of Webcam Girls that's available on YouTube that features Amy, showing her charging £2 a minute to view her cooking her dinner while wearing her underwear. Amy comes across as a spirited and positive modern female who says, I enjoy sex. I like my body. I don't feel ashamed of anything that I do. Her parents seem to accept this. And she seems very determined to do just what she wanted to. Her mother Jean accepted this and became her secretary. Amy also appeared in pornographic films and the adult TV channel Babe Station and other TV and cable programmes appearing under her name of Carla May her work name Amy was very professional in what she did ensuring proper photo shoots to promote herself and was in control of her life newspaper reports made a big deal of her appearing in a reality TV programme called Geordie Shaw which despite being friends with the main character she had only appeared in one episode, Madness in Magaluf. Amy was also a fitness fanatic and had a black belt in martial arts. She had a love for cooking. She had a food blog called Gym Kitchen, which was described as a free resource for tasty and healthy recipes to help her Instagram followers achieve their fitness and bodybuilding goals. Amy was also a trained chef with a level 3 diploma and had plans to release a cookbook having amassed a devoted 75,000 strong Twitter following on her account at Carla May 1. It seemed that whatever Amy did she did well to a professional standard but she was a wild child, a risk taker and she wanted to live life to the full. By 2016 Police had confirmed Amy's identity and her family had been contacted. Mum Jean, Dad Richard and Sister Daria headed to Brighton to be by her side. Amy had been placed on a life support machine as she had landed on her head and sustained a brain injury. The family had been told that she had fallen from a window but were not told how this had happened. The police were unsure themselves over what had happened. The family said that Amy was scared of heights and did not think she would climb out of a window. 
The family were told that Amy's chances of survival were very poor, as the injury was very serious. Meanwhile, Daniel Lewis in Helen Dawson had been arrested and questioned by the police. At the scene of the incident before he was arrested, Lewis said that he had not seen Amy crawl up to the window. He was too intoxicated by drugs to be interviewed by the police and would remain so for the next 36 hours. During this time, the police went through the evidence seized at the flat and through Amy's phone records. Strangely, Lewis's phone could not be found, suggesting that he had managed to lose it before the police arrived on the morning of the incident. Amy's phone contained pictures of both her and Daniel, along with text messages between the two throughout the evening before the accident. It seems that while they were together at the flat, they had been communicating by text, saying things like, I'm still tripping. A video was also uncovered of Amy saying, there were no drugs here, absolutely none, which is obviously a joke. The final picture of Amy on her phone was taken at 7.23 on the morning of her accident. 36 hours after Lewis's arrest, it was time for him to face questioning by the police. However, he requested a new solicitor, who was the family solicitor, before being interviewed. The solicitor had to travel down from London, which meant questioning was delayed until Wednesday. Finally, 48 hours after the incidents. Lewis faced an interview with detectives, Andy Wollstoneholm being the lead detective. It seemed they had a number of different objectives that they wanted to cover when speaking to Lewis. They were to be disappointed. They only got a prepared statement by Daniel, which was read out by his solicitor during the interview, saying... I have not caused injury to Amy Spencer. She had been in my flat and we had all consumed drugs of our own free will. Amy had been acting strangely and didn't recognise me. I saw her sitting on the window ledge and she fell back out of the window before I could get to her. Daniel was then faced with a number of questions by officers that were met with the no comment reply. After giving his statement, Daniel was released in relation to the attempted murder of Amy, while officers continued to investigate the numerous drug offences that he had been arrested for. On the 18th of July 2016, a week after Amy had fallen, her family were told her major organs were failing and she was brain damaged. Her father said that they were shown her scans which revealed that her brain was damaged beyond repair. Her brain stem had been severed. They had to make the decision to turn off the life support machine. Her mother said that should she survive, Amy would probably be severely mentally and physically impaired. It wouldn't be the Amy that everybody knew and loved without her vibrancy or quirkiness. It was almost certain that Amy would not want to live such a life. Her sister announced on social media that her beautiful sister had died. Amy's father, Richard, said, I was proud of her, very much so. 
She had a wild side. She did things that I probably didn't agree with. There were details that I didn't want to know. But she was a grafter. She never stopped working and she pushed herself. I took them to martial arts. Amy excelled at it. They both got their black belts. They went to the World Championships in Houston in 2001. She did an NVQ Level 3 chefing course. I absolutely loved her. She was at times a real pain in the bum. But she was my daughter and I loved her. I wish I could have told her more often that I loved her. Amy's mother Jean added, Life was for living. Life was to do everything, try everything, experiment. We called her the wild child. The post-mortem results on Amy revealed that she was not involved in a struggle before she died. Cause of death was given as a head injury, consistent with a fall. There were no signs of strangulation or compression of the neck. Two months after the post-mortem, the toxicology results showed that Amy had taken cocaine and ketamine. Ketamine can cause delusion-like ideas. Ketamine is a hallucinogenic drug. It has the ability to produce powerful hallucinations. That's called falling into the K-hole. It sees the user exist in a fantasy world of delusions and hallucinations and lose contact with the world around them. They make the taker accident-prone, such as wandering into traffic or having a fall. This seems consistent to what happened to Amy, who, although an experienced drug-taker, knowing her limits, but if she took a, a large dose of a new drug such as ketamine after taking cocaine, she may have lost control of her drug-taking. It was discovered that Daniel had a range of drugs in his blood, including the cocaine and diazepam, which he admitted to the police, along with ketamine and methadone. A strange cocktail of uppers and downers, which presumably had been taken over a period of time. After assessing toxicology reports, the detectives investigating Amy's death arrested Daniel Lewis on suspicion of possession with intent to supply Class A drugs. During the interview, detectives referred to messages sent to Amy's phone from Lewis. For example, on the day of her death, a message on Amy's phone from Lewis read, Get in, get your kit off, get Helen making balloons, while I make a line under your nose as long as a yeti's leg. Lewis just replied no comment to all questions. He was charged with eight counts of possession, with the intent to supply. But due to a lack of conclusive evidence, the Crown Prosecution Service refused to authorise a charge of supplying Amy with the drugs found in her blood after her death. Lewis was released on bail. Amy Spencer's inquest took place in May 2017 at Hove Town Hall with the coroner Veronica Hamilton, Dealey. She recorded that Amy Spencer died as a result of injuries sustained in a fall from a height. The exact circumstances of her fall remain unknown. The fall occurred while she was under the influence of cocaine and ketamine. It was reported that Miss 
Spencer was at a party at the time of the fall, but the hearing was told there had been a small gathering of only a few people. Witnesses told police they heard a man scream, but no sounds of an argument or signs of any significant disturbance. Could that man that screamed be Lewis as he watched Amy fall? A toxicologist told the inquest that the drug mix could uh, put Miss Spencer in a dreamlike state, which might explain why she was in such a dangerous position on the window ledge. The doctor said there was no sign of sexual assault or pressure or knife injury. He said he couldn't exclude a criminal act, but he couldn't prove that there was one. As a result, on the 8th of May, the charge for attempted murder against Lewis was dropped after the inquest concluded that the circumstances under which Ms Spencer fell were uncertain. Daniel Lewis appeared at Lewis Crown Court during November 2018. He admitted seven counts of possessing Class A, B and C drugs with intent to supply and one count of possessing ketamine. The prosecution explained his position, saying that it had built a reputation selling mail-order drugs to high-end clients, offering party platters including cocaine, ketamine, LSD, methadone, and he boasted that he made fuckloads of money. Nicholas Shannon, prosecuting, told of how police had originally launched a murder investigation after Lewis was spotted in agitated state at the kitchen window by a neighbour after Miss Spencer fell, but said that he'd been cleared of any wrongdoing. During the court hearing, it was stated that Helen Dawson had left for work at the hospital on the Monday morning, leaving both Amy and Lewis at the flat, still heavily intoxicated. The judge, Christine Lang, QC, asked why Lewis did not work. The defence barrister, Mr Camlish, replied that his client had no job because he does not need to work. Instead, he lives off the income from his grandfather and his wife. He had married Helen Dawson before the trial. He had become a drug addict because of his mental health problems, but gradually he researched how to supply his friends on the party scene with drugs. Evidence about the drugs found, the drug paraphernalia, information about customers and so on was given, and that Lewis shared the flat with his then-girlfriend, now-wife, Helen Dawson, who is now head of radiology at the Royal Sussex Hospital in Brighton. That in the past year, he had moved out of Brighton, got himself off drugs, and now volunteers full-time to help an autism charity. While it's true that Lewis may have relocated, he was hardly out of Brighton. His new address of Piddinghoe Avenue in Peacehaven is just ten minutes away, along the A259 Coastal Road, technically out of Brighton, but in reality on its border. The judge, Christine Lang, gave Lewis a two-year suspended sentence told him he had to complete 300 hours of unpaid work, complete a rehabilitation, 
a rehab course and impose a four-month curfew. He was spared jail because the judge claimed that he had turned his life around. When the result was published in the media, there was shock over the lenient sentence. It was suggested that if a 30-year-old male from nearby White Hawk Estate had been found guilty of supplying drugs in the quantity that Lewis had, and a woman had died in his house as a result of taking drugs, he would have received a long jail sentence and probably a manslaughter conviction. Lewis's family had paid for the best legal defence that coached Lewis on what to do and what to say to avoid justice. It was stated that there was thus one law for the wealthy and connected and another law for everybody else. There were also a number of other peculiarities of the case that had caused public disquiet. For example, Helen Dawson, the girlfriend of Lewis, now his wife. She was present during the time that Amy and Daniel were partying out of their heads on drugs. She lived at the flat, which was in effect a drug den. But she also held a job as a senior radiographer at the Royal Sussex Hospital. Her role was barely mentioned during the trial and newspaper reports. Surely somebody with a senior position with the NHS should be held accountable for her part. Maybe there was some internal inquiries taking place regarding her role and position, and hence the lack of news. But this remains to be seen. There are also questions as to how Lewis was able to access large quantities of prescription drugs for his party drug platters. Helen Dawson was clearly involved in the drug activities at the flat, as can be ascertained from the text Lewis sent about Helen filling balloons with nitrous oxide. Helen had left for work that morning, leaving at least Amy, who was probably naked, and her boyfriend Lewis in the flat, out of their heads on drugs. It's not known if anybody else was present when she left. Another unanswered question. The inquest had said that there'd been a small party over the weekend, but no details were given. Helen Dawson was complicit, as it was her home as much as his, and the incident when the incident had taken place. She was indirectly profiting from drug dealing. Had she been jointly charged, the police may have shaken her into giving more information about what had happened. There are a number of unanswered questions about Helen Dawson. Was she a drug user? Many people that work for the NHS use drugs and drink to excess. What was the relationship between Helen, Amy and Lewis? This was never made clear. Another aspect that disgusted local people was the disregard Lewis showed towards Amy's death. He seemed to show little concern and was unwilling to answer police questions, either pretending to be in a drug daze or answering no comment. Lewis was seen standing near Amy when she went out the window. He did not phone the emergency services, but did manage to phone a couple of friends after she fell and before the police arrived. Then Lewis's phone, and who knows what else, goes missing. 
Did somebody come around the flat and take them away? This was never made clear. Then Lewis sits tight in his cell without talking to the police until his defence can come up with a defence to his best advantage. At the coroner's court, hearing into the death of Amy, Lewis was asked questions by Amy's mother, which Lewis refused to answer in case he incriminated himself. It's fair to assume that Lewis knew what happened but chose not to tell and let people wonder forevermore how Amy came to fall out the window. Because of these aspects, the general feeling was that Lewis was not entitled to the leniency shown by the judge. There were questions asked about the judge. Although Lewis was coached in his defence, Judge Lang would have heard such a defence many times before. It's a usual tactic used by defence barristers. It was suggested that the defence was not so much for the judge, but for the benefit of the public, to allow the judge to pass a soft sentence as received by Lewis. The courts, being a theatre, given the illusion of equal treatment. How many times would Judge Lang have heard from a defendant who was a drug addict saying, I've turned my life around? Why was Lewis given preferential treatment? There were further accusations of Freemasonry as the reason the sentence was so light. There were suggestions that the family could bring a private prosecution. Why hadn't this been done? Was there a gagging order? Gus MacDonald was such a powerful and influential man in the area, it's likely he would have known Judge Lang. The local MP for Kemptown, Lloyd Russell Moyle, is usually quick to court publicity, but was not interested in getting involved in the case which could be seen as something as a surprise. However, the local newspaper, the Brighton Argos, was vocal against the judgment, which ignored sentencing guidelines. And a number of people urged people to protest, one suggesting that the following email be sent to the Attorney General's office. Dear Sir or Madam, Name, Daniel William Angus Lewis, Crimes committed. Seven counts of possessing Class A, B and C drugs with intent to supply. And one count of possessing ketamine. Court. Lewis Crown Court. Case reference. Date of sentence. Which was the 2nd of November, 2018. Mr Lewis was apprehended following the death of a woman he had supplied drugs to who fell from his flat window. He had admitted purchasing and reselling serious drugs for profit on a nationwide scale. The judge in this case did not give Mr Lewis a custodial sentence. I am completely shocked, and even though somebody died directly as a result of Mr Lewis's criminal actions, he has been allowed to remain free, even though he engaged in and profited from criminal activity. He's been allowed to remain free. This is shocking when other people convicted of much lesser crimes are incarcerated as a punishment for their criminal activity. One cannot wonder if this is because this man is independently wealthy. I think it's only fitting that the Attorney General's office should review this sentence. 
it's not known how many people actually filled in an email such as this, but they were encouraged to by the Argus. Lenient sentences can be referred by the Crown Prosecution Service, the police or by the public. And the merits of the case must be decided within 28 days. And this is what happened. The public outrage forced the Attorney General to review the case, which was submitted for resentencing on the Court of Appeal. Lewis's case reached the Appeal Court during January 2019. The Solicitor General, Robert Buckland QC, urged judges to increase his too soft sentence. His lawyers disputed that he had dealt drugs on a substantial scale, insisting that he only supplied friends and acquaintances. Lewis, who had inherited a trust fund from his grandfather, supplied his merchandise across the Brighton party scene. His legal team also highlighted his previous good character and his efforts to transform his life. He, could admit he had completed 233 hours of unpaid work since the suspended sentence was passed and he had left the Brighton area. The court heard how he'd since cleaned up his act and now plans to qualify as a dog trainer. But Lord Justice Holdroyd said the sentencing judge had overstressed Lewis's need for rehabilitation. There were multiple aggravating factors in the case which caused for a prison stretch, he ruled. For all these reasons, we are satisfied the sentence here was unduly lenient. We are of the clear view that these offences demanded a total sentence of a length exceeding in which could have been suspended. The very least total appropriate is three years, he concluded. Lewis was told to present himself at Brighton Custody Centre by 4pm on January the 16th, 2019, to begin his three-year prison term. There are probably still attempts to gag or suppress the news about Daniel Lewis's case, despite it being obvious from a common-sense viewpoint that Daniel Lewis supplied the drugs that caused Amy's death, because she did not have a receipt for these drugs in her pocket when she died, it can't be proved 100% that he supplied the drugs. It is possible, albeit extremely unlikely, that she came with her own stash of drugs. Nevertheless, Brighton Argus had to print an apology for stating the obvious on the 15th of November 2018 for saying that Lewis had any involvement in the death of Amy. The apology says that the full scientific investigation concerning any connection between the drugs that Amy had taken on the day she died and all the drugs found in the possession of Mr Lewis had not provided any link. I do not see how it could be possible to prove that they, there was a link if the drugs had already been ingested. There was a documentary presented by Katie Piper examining the circumstances surrounding Amy's death. It followed the police during the progress of the case. The programme was broadcast on the 14th of February 2019 on one of the ITV channels. It gave a good amount of detail and was interesting, but it left out huge chunks of information.
for example. Helen Dawson was not mentioned once. Daniel Lewis flashes his smile and jokes for the police, but it's not mentioned about his lifestyle or that he failed to phone emergency services despite making other calls straight after Amy had fallen. The programme is very easy on Lewis, considering his actions. There's no mention of his grandfather, Gus MacDonald. The documentary claims to reveal the entire story, but it clearly doesn't. We are no clearer about the relationship between Amy, Lewis and Helen Dawson. We're left to assume that they were friends. Well, thank you for listening. I've put photographs of some of the people involved on the Strange Stories UK Facebook page. If you've got any comments or would like to <clears throat> make any observations about today's story, I'd be pleased to answer. Well, it also remains me to thank Damselfly for providing... Thank you.